Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Leah and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Dr. Leah Leach. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we are talking about a gal who went from picking cotton in Nutbush, Tennessee, to an icon on stage and screen. There were many hardships along the way, but big wheels keep on turning and proud Mary keep on burning. So we're rolling down this river and talking about the life and legacy of your gal, Tina Turner. Okay, that was pretty slick. (laughs) Sweet! Yay! (laughs) So it was interesting. I mean... What's Love Got to Do With It is about all I knew about Tina Turner, to be quite honest. I honestly didn't even know what the color of her skin was, because I never really, like, it's not the first thing that I think of to check on. So it's like, okay. Right, right. So it was like, oh, well, I know pretty much next to nothing about this gal, but I know her voice. I can pick her voice out in a crowd. So there is that. Right. It's like a fingerprint. That voice is so unique. Absolutely. And then I've had her song stuck in my head. My roommate's been like, all right, that's this song. Thank you, Tina. Like, Exactly. Well, I think we're probably going to help uh, our listeners get some songs stuck in their head as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's inevitable. Exactly. It's the gift that keeps on giving is, it is. how I think of it. It is. Oh, goodness. Yeah, what I knew kind of going into this one, because I I grew up with Tina. So, because I grew up in the 80s, uh, and Tina was, like, everywhere. Uh, She was in movies, she was on TV, she was on the radio. I remember when she sold pantyhose for legs. Right. (laughs) And then I bought them because Tina Turner wore them. Uh, So I loved her. Um, She was actually one that I thought of going and seeing live in concert. And I almost never go to concerts. Um, So that's really saying something. But um, I didn't go see her. But I really thought about it. So that's nice. Um, It has been a while since I've seen the movie What's Love Got to Do With It. Um, But I did see it. So I did know that Tina was a survivor. I knew she was in a very abusive relationship. Um, I knew that she was Buddhist, like me, yay! yay. Um, and also I knew that she wore uh wigs because I remember Oprah, uh, Oprah's episode where Oprah had the wig, and it was like Tina Turner, but then it was Oprah as Tina Turner, and I'm like, oh, she wears a wig. Like I don't know how old I was. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so that really helped. Um, I also know, of course, she has the best legs I've ever seen, and I will try not to keep mentioning them. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, like, there's people like George W. Bush who agree with you, and basically every interviewer that ever interviewed her agrees with you, you know, so you're not the only one. I know, I know. I just, I don't like objectifying anybody's body, because, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not fair, and that doesn't make them the person. So, right. Yes. But at the same time, I admire and am in awe. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Well, should we get on into it and figure out where uh, she started out at? Absolutely. So Tina Turner was actually born as Anna May Bullock on November 26th of 1939. And as Leah mentioned earlier, she was born in Nutbush, Tennessee. Her mother was Zelma Priscilla and her father was Floyd Richard Bullock. So she was born on a farm where her father worked, and he was an overseer of sharecroppers. 
Anna is actually of African-American descent and approximately 33% European and 1% Native American, which makes her complexion unique and absolutely beautiful. In an interview, she said that when asked what her skin tone was, she said it was an undertone of yellow, but like it just depended on what the lights hit her at. But she, it's like her ah, like, ever changing. Yeah, so she's she's mixed just enough that depending on the light depends on what it actually looks like, which is really cool. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. So as young as the age of eight, Anna was caught in picking, which shocked me a little to be quite honest like it's it's Mm -hmm. the 1900s aren't we over this by now no okay i guess not no no Uh, i know it's sad it's really strange for me to think about because like it's not that far away you know what i mean tina turner's still living with us and she cotton picked like you know it's like right Exactly. It is not that far removed at all. Yeah. Yeah. So Anna had an older sister, Ruby, and as young children, they were separated when their parents relocated to Knoxville, Tennessee. There they worked at a defense facility during the World War II. Now, as children, they moved a lot. They didn't have one stable household for very long. At this point, Anna went to stay with her Baptist grandparents, and she was separated from her sister. So growing up, Anna also sang in church choir and started her musical talents there. Now, after the war, the sisters were reunited with their parents and moved them to Knoxville. Two years later, the family returned to Nutbush to live in the Flag Grove community. Now, when she was 11, her mother ran off without warning, seeking freedom from her abusive relationship with her father. Which is almost like foreshadowing, if you think about it. It kind of is, yeah. Now, as a preteen, Anna worked as a domestic worker... And which is also like foreshadowing because she did that in her adult years as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when she was 13, her father married another woman and they moved to Detroit and Anna and her sister went to live with their grandmother in Brownsville, Tennessee. Now, her growing up years are a little confusing, so I might have gotten the timeline a little messed up, honestly, but it's like grandparents parents split up parents grandparents like you guys get the idea it was she was kind of all over the right place, the you dot know? points of move yeah moving around a lot yeah yeah not, not a super steady upbringing no yeah and not even the same siblings around her or anything like that right exactly Now, Anna was a self-professed tomboy. She joined both the cheerleading squad and the female basketball team at her high school in Brownsville. Um, She, quote, socialized every chance she got. Now, when Anna was 16, her grandmother died suddenly. Now, after the funeral, she went to live with her mother again in St. Louis, where she was reunited with her sister again. There, Anna graduated um, from summer high school in 1958. Now, after the graduation, she worked as a nurse's aide at Barnes Jewish Hospital and dreamed of becoming a nurse, which is also fascinating. Yeah, exactly. So now, after moving to St. Louis, Anna, Mer- Anna May and her sister became quite acquainted with the members of the Kings of Rhythm. Anna May dated the band's saxophonist, Raymond Hill, and at 18, she became pregnant. Now, after her mother found out, she went away with Raymond, who lived with Ike Turner. Now, speaking on Hill, Tina said, I didn't love him as much as I loved Harry, but he was good-looking. Harry was her um, past boyfriend. 
She thought, my baby is going to be beautiful. No. Yeah. Now, while she was pregnant with her son, Craig, in 1958, the relationship became pretty strange. And allegedly, after a fight between the two broke out, Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm members confronted Hill and beat him up to basically a pulp. Um, to the point where oh, they wow. broke his leg and he couldn't go on tour anymore. He had to go back home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, well, backing up a tiny bit, at the age of 17, uh, Anna Mae was hanging out in those St. Louis nightclubs with her sister. And the Kings of Rhythm, uh, led by Ike Turner, they were starting to make a name for themselves. Now, one night, the drummer of the Kings of Rhythm gave the mic to Anna Mae to sing. Now, Ike liked what he heard, and Anna Mae became a guest vocalist as well as being under his wing. Anime's first credit on a record was in 1958 on Box Top by the Kings of Rhythm, and she was credited as Little Anna, which I actually think is adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so a year later, and according to her own biography, I, Tina, My Story, she would reluctantly be in a relationship with Ike, and she described that Ike was with many of the girls in the band and at the shows as well. Now, Anime found herself in a more serious relationship with Ike when she was dealing with the breakup and her pregnancy and uh, the birth of her first child. But it would all change in 1960 with an aptly named song, A Fool in Love. So the song was designed actually for Art Lasseter to sing lead vocals. But Art and Ike got into a, quote, round of words, is what Tina would say later in an interview. So when Art didn't show up for the recording studio, Anime pleaded Ike to let her sing it. He let her record it, but he treated it like a demo with the idea that the vocals were going to be replaced later. But the demo version did get play in St. Louis radio. In fact, DJ Dave Dixon convinced Ike to send the tape to Sue Records, and they loved it. They offered an advance of $25,000, which is the equivalent of about six figures today. So it's a lot of money. Wow. And that was just the advance for the publishing and recording rights of the song. So it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> this might go somewhere, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so the record label had to convince to keep Anna May as the lead vocalist and make her the star of the show. Ike agreed, but he renamed anime Tina Turner. This was without her knowledge or her permission. This was actually in case anime decided to leave him, he could replace her and bring in a new quote unquote Tina Turner. Yep. They were not married, and he was putting his last name on her stage name. It was a very weird ownership. Absolutely. I just, I got the creepy crawlies when I found that. I was like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes. Now, Fool in Love was released a year later, and it was an instant hit. It reached number two on R&B charts and 27 on Billboard. The Ike and Tina Turner Review was on American Bandstand and Nights at the Apollo Theater. It was the beginning of something very big. Absolutely. Now, with their popularity growing, Ike and Tina were married in Mexico in 1962. They decided to get married... Um, according to Tina, they got married because of Ike's previous wife looking for alimony payments for their children, Ike Jr. and Michael. Two years later, their son, their own son, Ronnie, was born. Now, shortly after marrying, Ike's ex brought Ike Jr. and Michael to live with them 
Um, and Ike would claim that they weren't legally married or that Tina took his last name to discourage her ex-boyfriend, Raymond Hill. Now, Tina herself later admits that she never felt like she was actually married to Ike. Um, so it was a real marriage eventually, but it didn't feel like one. It's this really right. weird yeah, dynamic. Yeah. And even she got confused at it certain It felt like points. a contract, like another record contract. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like a, a mutual partnership of love and togetherness forever and ever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And even they weren't really even supposed to have children together, honestly. I mean, Tina recounts that the marriage was because Ike wanted it. And it was not out of love. They weren't typically even intimate with each other because they felt like they were more like siblings than a couple. Right. But if you watch interviews of Tina, she's she doesn't play the victim. She's not like, oh, woe is me. She's she's a happy person. And it's like when you hear Tina talk about it, it's like, I still feel icky. But she the way she handles it makes me feel hope if that makes any sense like it's it's like right. okay she she's incredibly strong for going through this oh yeah and and for us it's warning signs yes you know what i mean yeah. and for her looking back yes it was warning signs um it, it's very different when you're in it right you know what exactly. i mean it's like wait is that is that yeah so it's only looking back that you can kind of see like oh wait no that was a large alarm bell there yeah <laughs> exactly now shortly after the group found musical success as ike and tina turner they relocated to los angeles and began performing to promote their hit single a fool in love all while Tina was pregnant with their son, Ronnie. Now, the first account of physical abuse committed by Ike happened after Tina complained of financial issues and asked to end their confusing relationship, which we just discussed is completely confusing, and I don't blame her. Mm -hmm. Ike actually responded to this by hitting her in the head with a wooden shoe stretcher. So, Tina actually wrote in her memoir, I, Tina, that the incident was the first time Ike had instilled fear in her. And Ike worried in his memoirs that sure i've slapped tina there were times when i punched her to the ground without thinking but i've never beat her so it's just it's so strange because it's like oh yeah totally i hit her but i never like there's not really a difference here you know right but he doesn't see it that no. way and it's like ooh, no that's part of the problem exactly <laughs> yeah exactly uh well after they kind of switch record labels a few times they actually I I read one place that they change record labels like upwards of 10 times yeah, so I read that too. many record yeah. labels uh, they were also touring pretty close to nonstop around the, the U.S. Now, Tina's energy caught the eye of Phil Spector in 1965. Now, Phil Spector was a record producer credited with creating The Wall of Sound, and he had a major string of hits. Now, in full disclosure, this was before Phil Spector was convicted of murder, but around the time that reports started surfacing that he was acting weird. So Phil Spector paid Ike money to stay out of the studio so that he and tina could record river deep mountain high um yay i mean what kind of is it with the creepy guys in her life i know I'm just saying. um 
It's very weird. But uh, released in 1966, the single was a hit in the UK, but it didn't quite grab American audiences. But no worries, because the UK audiences were more than ready for Tina when she joined the Rolling Stones tour. Now, Tina even says before Mick Jagger saw her command the stage with her dance moves, Mick Jagger barely moved on stage. Uh, Soon, he was all over the stage. So basically, Tina Turner um, taught Mick Jagger how to dance. Just saying. That is pretty <laughs> I epic. I right love there. that idea. Oh, yeah. That is pretty epic right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, love it. So, after a break that included a blues album and headlighting a show in Las Vegas, the Ike and Tina Turner Review were back with the Rolling Stones, this time on the United States tour. Now, while on tour, things were not great backstage. Ike was abusing Tina since the 1960s. Uh, and Tina, like Phoebe said, um, it has instilled fear in her. So, but by 1968, two worlds of love from an audience and violence from her husband. It just became too much, and Tina tried to commit suicide. She wanted out, but she didn't know how. And in an interview, she realized that taking pills to end her life was not what she wanted. But the world hardly knew how close we were to losing her, because in 1970, Ike and Tina were on The Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, They signed with, yet again, another record label. They released three albums in two years, and one of those albums contained a cover of Creedence Clearwater Revival song, Proud. Mary. It was the couple's biggest hit, reaching number four on Billboard and selling over a million copies and earning them a Grammy. Oh, wow. So I created the record studio near their home in Inglewood, California, and they were cranking out songs like Nutbush City Limits, which was written by Tina about her hometown in Tennessee. And the song did okay in the States. But once again, it was super popular in the UK. So concert dates were scheduled and the review was starting to be in concert motion yet again. Now, when their kids were mostly grown, Ike's addiction to drugs became worse and worse and worse. Black eyes and puffy lips were just a part of Tima's normal look now. She finally decided enough was enough. When asked why she stayed, she said that part of her felt like she owed Ike because of how he helped her with her career. But by this time, she'd made him a lot of money and no longer felt like she owed him. Thankfully. Yeah. Now, after a final fight with Ike in 1976, Tina fought back for once. By this point, she found a strength within herself, and and she just fought back. Her children are grown up enough for her not to use them as an excuse to stay together anymore. Ike's drug and alcohol abuse was just too much. Tina filed for divorce on July 27th of 1976, and the divorce would not be settled until 1978 because Ike didn't want it quite frankly. Right. Now, in the divorce decree, Tina took responsibility for missed concert dates as well as an IRS lien and requested to be allowed to retain use of her stage name as a means to find work as a performer. Now, Tina gave Ike her share of the studio, publishing companies, four cars, and real estate, which all of this totaled close to $500,000. Um, Tina said that her peace of mind was more important than all of that. I can see that. Yeah, totally. Now, after she left Ike, several promoters lost money and sued to recoup their losses. For almost two years, she received food stamps, lived with friends, played in small clubs to pay off debts. Now, the debts were 
from different promoters and venues who already had Ike and Tina Turner booked. Now, when Tina walked away, all she had was 36 cents, a gas station credit card, and her name. Like, her name was super important. Right. Like Leah said earlier, when Ike renamed Tina Turner, the idea was that if she ever left him like she is now, he would just find another woman and call her Tina Turner next. So it wasn't quote-unquote her name, it was Ike's. But at the end of the day, it's the only thing that Tina would not let him keep. He could keep all the riches, he c- but he couldn't have her name, and she won. Tina Turner is her name to keep forever. It's on her passports, it's on her driver's license, everything. Her strength and bravery to come out of this with a positive mind and, a po- and to keep moving forward is something really to be commended. Yeah. The way she talked about the past, it's actually, I, to be perfectly honest, I was a little scared to cover Tina Turner just because Leah was, you were warning me a little bit about like, she has a heavy past. This is going to be difficult, you know, because we're both really sensitive. Um, We both feel for people, but that's what um mm-hmm. makes us good for the show is that we can we can relate to people but it also makes it hard sometimes so we kind of just warn each other right like actually hearing tina talk about the past is what helped me because she is such a light she's not a woe is me oh no everybody should feel bad about me she actually was like at one point, she was like, it's been 20 years. I don't know why people keep talking about it. Like, <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep, they keep asking her. It's not like she's bringing it up. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. It's hard to explain because if you, you listen to her, it's not like she's discounting everything that happened. And she it's not like she's downplaying it or like that it was a positive thing or that anybody who goes through it is like, oh, suck it up. It's not like that. It's very much... Okay, I went through this, but I came out on top and I'm better because of what I made from it, which is very, very inspiring. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And we need more people like her. <laughs> oh, yeah, ex- exactly. With her divorce finalized, Tina was singing disco hits on the club circuit and doing TV appearances to make ends meet as well. She was on the set of Olivia Newton-John's TV special, where she first met manager Roger Davies. Tina proclaimed that she wanted a comeback and she wanted to play rock venues, but she needed a manager and a record contract. Roger Davies agreed to be her manager. Yay! So they started with two covers. They started with The Temptations, Ball of Confusion, and Al Green's Let's Stay Together. Both of them did just okay in America, but once again, England went nuts for them. So the iron was hot, and Tina and Roger rushed to England to record her comeback album, Private Dancer. So the album would include the title song, as well as Better Be Good to Me, and What's Love Got to Do With It. So the album was steady. It was slow build, basically. It was bubbling under the surface. It really kind of also was the little engine that could. This album just kept going and going. The album was on the charts for two years and ended up selling 20 million copies in its run. Oh my gosh. The track What's Love Got to Do With It wasn't an overnight sensation. 
But there was one night where it finally crept up to number one. Soon the Grammy nominations followed and Tina won three Grammys, including Record of the Year. Now, a VH1 Legends documentary summed up 1985 and Private Dancer beautifully this way. Uh, They kind of, you know, paraphrasing here, they said there was three top albums of the year. It was Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, it was Prince's Purple Rain, and Tina Turner's Private Dancer. And they said, quote, rock had a boss, it had a prince, and it had a queen. That's so And I love that. I love that quote. I'm so glad you grabbed that quote. It was like my formative years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, my goodness, like the three people who kind of shaped my life in very weird ways. Yeah, it was the boss, the prince, and the queen. It's like... That's 85 right there. It is. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. (laughs) Honestly, this is slightly off topic, but, um, you know, if you ever get that question, like, if you could be born in a different time period, what where would you what time period would you be born? I always said that I wish Uh I was born like my parents generation. Like, I wouldn't go any farther back. I wouldn't Uh go any farther forward. I was just like, no, I just like want an extra 20 years. Like, I just want, I wanted to live through the 80s and 70s, you know, it's just like, ah, man, because I would know all this, you know? (laughs) It's good. You are more plugged in on later stuff than I am not. Then I go, oh, yeah, that's right. We can balance each other out. (laughs) Totally. That's why it works. I love it. Well, she was doing other stuff oh, as yeah. well when she was doing Private Dancer. I mean, that kind of like opened up a whole new world to her. Absolutely. So Tina was also in movies and in TV shows. So to be a stage performer, you have to put on an act. It's not really yourself. And even Tina has said that. So it makes sense that all of our rock ladies here are also actors. Um, Tina mm-hmm. had said in an interview that like people respect actors because they know that they're acting but they they treat performers in a different way because they don't realize that it's basically acting you know they think that that's their actual personality where in fact it's a stage personality exactly they they want the illusion to be thinner when it comes to music yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so i looked it up she has 55 different acting credits on imdb now and is still going strong now granted all of those count for her music videos as well. And those fif- out of those 55, that doesn't include her musical performances and guest appearances on TV shows. So that she has lots more credits in that regard. Mm-hmm. One big actual acting credit she has was she was in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which I need to look up because... Mad Max Fury. Oh yeah, it's really yeah. weird. Mad Max Fury Road, <laughs> I love. So I gotta, I gotta look this up. The the earlier '80s ones are definitely uh, different, <laughs> mm-hmm. but she is awesome in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, if cosplay was a thing back then, mm-hmm. that would have been like a major cosplay because she was awesome. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> She said that she had a thrill for being in that movie because she was acting as someone other than herself, and she got to be a tomboy, which she really loved anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, her stage performance, her stage persona is not really a tomboy, as you can see. She's glittery and all, right. showcases her exactly. legs and all yep. this stuff. So to be able to get, be a tomboy was like a big deal to her. Right. Now, Steven Spielberg, after this, approached her about being in the color purple. But she denied it. She was practically begged Ah. to be in the color purple. And she said she just didn't feel right in her heart. Um, The role she chose 
the role she chose, she it had to feel right and allow her to be somebody else. She said that in The Color Purple, they wanted her to play a role that she basically already played in real life. They wanted her to play the scared, beaten woman who runs away. She didn't want to play something that she already was in real life. And she said, quote, that's not acting. That's totally fair. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The person shouldn't have to go through that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I completely understand. And it's it's interesting because people kept pushing her. And then at the end of the day, she had a hard time explaining it. She was like, it's just a feeling. You know, it's just like, I, it just didn't feel right. Every right. time she agreed to it, she felt sick about agreeing to it. Right. Exactly. I'd be like, you know, if I was her, I'd live that. I don't have to pretend that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Go find somebody else to pretend that I already did right. it. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm i with her on that one completely. Absolutely. Now, as Leah told us earlier, she has an autobiography called I, Tina, where she talks about her whole life. And there's a movie about her whole life called What's Love Got to Do With It, too. It stars Angela Bassett mm-hmm. as Tina Turner and Lawrence Fishburne as Ike. Oh, my goodness. I did not have enough time to watch the whole thing. But, of course, Leah watched it. And I've seen clips. I am so excited to go up and, and look this up and watch it. Like, I, it's on YouTube for, like... It's a very good movie. Yeah. It looks so good. It's, like, $3 to rent it or something. I'm, like... As soon as I have a free night, I'm Worth watching it. it. I like just the scenes and like they use Tina Turner's actual songs and Angela Bassett is like lip syncing perfectly and she's acting. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm in love with it. You know, it's so good. Yeah. Angela Bassett channeled Tina. Like you could see there was some, oh my gosh, yeah. some kind of spiritual connection energy. Oh, like yeah. she just, she got it and she really, uh, you know, um, transports you. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, and me after too. watching him as Ike, I had a I had a hard time loving Lawrence Fishburne right. after. And I just of course again I had to separate the actor from the performance. Right. Um, but it was it was kind of tough. So um yeah, I recently saw Lawrence Fishburne in Ant Man and I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, he played Ike Turner. But you know what? We're cool again. No, we're cool, we're again. cool again. We gotta be cool because like, okay, um, if anything, I've learned, I did a uh, a short film about human trafficking, and all the guys that we had yes. play the bad guys, they had to be super nice. Like, they they had to be. Like, right. they're, because there's no guy willing to play something that horrible, you know, especially like a, you right. know, and you're not going to find a genuinely bad guy to play a genuinely bad role that's just dangerous and not good. So, like... It's hard to see Lawrence Fishburne again, but at the same time, to me, it shows, like, his actual character as a person. It's like, oh, he was able to play this and still come out a decent human being, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. He put the character on, took the character off. Yep. I love it. (laughs) That's what you do. Yes. (laughs) Actors are cool. (laughs) Oh, yes. Totally see it. It's, It's brilliant. It's very... Very well done. It, it gives you the the feels of a life. Totally. Basically. Totally. I'm so excited. I am probably going to watch it tonight, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. I was going to watch it last night, but I was writing, you know, excuses. But it's like, okay. <laughs> you had to get ready for this I show. I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, do I catch up on the show or do I like watch a movie? I should probably be responsible. Darn it. Oh, the grown up life. I know. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Now, on top of all the movies, TV show appearances, etc., 
Tina Turner also has a musical that opened April of 2018. It's in London, and the musical is simply called Tina. Now, Wikipedia describes the musical as Tina is a jukebox musical featuring the music of Tina Turner and depicting her life from her youth in Nutbush, Tennessee, through her relationship with Ike Turner and come back as rock and roll star in her 40s. And that's the whole musical. Sweet. And it sounds really awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. That that needs to come to the States. I, I'm, I'm there. I love that idea. Yeah. Or we just like make a mass trip. Uh, yeah. Never mind. London is kind of excessive. But, you know, it would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very cool. I love the idea of a Tina musical. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, oh, man. It's just, it's so cool. <laughs> and you can tell that she's not like, oh, look at my story. Like, you just... Just listen to one interview and you just know her heart. It's so cool. Right, exactly. She's like, hey, if people are still willing to, um, mm. you know, to, to learn, appreciate and grow through my story, I will keep sharing it. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. That's what's lovely. <laughs> well, when it comes to Tina's other albums and other uh, musical compilations, in 1985, the great year that was 1985, Tina would lend her voice to We Are the World, a single to raise money for famine facing Africa, which had just about everybody in uh, the industry, rock and roll and every little nuance uh, genre from there on that album. She also appeared on stage with Mick Jagger. Yes, they were both dancing uh, at Live Aid to benefit famine in Ethiopia. Now, Tina followed up Private Dancer with three separate world tours and a new album break every rule the album would reach number three in america but it was number one in germany and in switzerland next for tina was foreign affair it was the number one album in four countries but not in america she started facing opposition here she started being criticized that she was neglecting her r&b roots and singing more rock and roll really someone as far as to say she was acting too white can you Are you serious? This? Yeah. Now, I realize I am 30 years late for this argument, uh, but if more people knew about Sister Rosetta Tharp, a black woman going from gospel to inventing rock and roll, right? instead of idolizing rock and roll as Buddy Holly and Jerry Lewis and Elvis, maybe this conversation would have never been a thing. Totally. Maybe Tina reinventing herself from R&B to do, I don't know, whatever she wants would have been welcome and appreciated because not only do gals rock, but our sisters blaze some amazing trails that we should all follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I digress. That was my little rant there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, But it's so cool because they did practically the same thing. Grew up in church choir right. and eventually got to rock. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Guys, this is an actual pattern here. <laughs> right? So, yes. But uh, in the 90s, Tina actually thought about retiring. I mean, the 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 not so much love from America, you know, it, it starts to weigh on you every now and again. But then there was this opportunity of singing the title song for James Bond's GoldenEye. And it was just too good to turn down. After Tina uh, nailed that song, um, in my opinion, the song is actually better than the movie. Oh, yeah. Which is very rare to say, but it's brilliant. Uh, The fame found her back on tour, two new albums, Wildest Dreams and 24-7. So at the age of 56, Tina Turner was a sexy black woman selling out football stadiums. It was new to see any woman over a certain age as sexy. 
but also owning it. Now, remember, this is before Helen Mirren, (laughs) y'all. So this was life changing. This was new. This was absolutely awesome to see the shift in dynamic. Totally. Uh, Now, in 2009, Tina released a live album. She was in her 70s and still rocking. I love that. I love this. Oh, my gosh. I love it. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And she's won her fair share of awards because of it, too. She very much has. (laughs) So when Ike and Tina were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 91, Ike actually could not appear because he was serving three years in California prison for reckless driving and possession of drugs. Which is not all that surprising, knowing right. the past. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, oh, goodness. <laughs> now, the last time Tina saw Ike was when they were both getting awarded, and she didn't realize that Ike would be there. She looked over to her producer, and he had the same worry in his eyes. They weren't worried about the safety as much as they were worried about there being a scene. Right. Because Tina said that they didn't even have, like, bodyguards or anything like that, because they didn't think they needed it. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2008, Tina was listed at the 17th place on the Rolling Stones list of the 100 greatest singers of all time. She's also referred to in the media as the queen of rock and roll, which is super cool because that means we have three gals that we covered that had like a title of rock and roll. Now, we didn't exactly plan it that right. way. We really deliberated on what we were doing, but we did not go, oh, who has all the titles of rock and roll? Let's do that. Like, that wasn't our plan, but it just kind of happened. Yeah, I had no idea that all three had, you know, the queen of, the inventor of, the godmother of rock and roll. Like, that's so weird. It is so weird. It's so cool. (laughs) I was just like, what? Do they all have titles of rock and roll? Sweet. Exactly. And super awesome. I can't wait to talk about that in our recap and just to kind of like mull over that a little more because that's just super cool. So Tina also has her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and on the St. Louis Walk of Fame. So that... Oh, I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah, I didn't either. It's super cool. cool. Yeah. So she has... (laughs) She's accomplished so much. Like you mentioned earlier, three of her recordings, River Deep, Mountain High, Proud Mary, and What's Love Got to Do With It, are in the Grammy Hall of Fame. And Tina has won eight competitive and three honorary achievement Grammy Awards. So it's like... Oh, yeah, it's, she's done so much and she's still, she's still rocking it. So in 1973, Tina began her practice of Nichiren Buddhism. Buddhism is the world's fourth largest religion and it began around 500 BC with the teachings of a prince who walked away from his material possessions to find enlightenment. So his teachings are to highlight the four noble truths and a path to identify and end suffering. So as I was taught, the Buddha was not a god. He was just a dude who figured out a path and wanted to offer it to people to try to help end suffering in the world. So because of that, there are different teachers, there are different schools, there are different interpretations of Buddhist teaching. Tina's branch, as well as mine, is in the Mahayana branch. It includes chanting, meditation, compassion, and nonviolence. The core of Nachiren Buddhism is each person's Buddha nature. It's the idea that we can all reach enlightenment. In Nachiren, the path is focused on the Lotus Sutra and chanting Nam-myo-rinkyo, as well as teaching Nachiren's writing, which was in the 1200s. Wow. So Tina said in Living Buddhism magazine how Buddhism helped shape her life. She said, quote, 
Buddhism helped me get out of a difficult situation and into a much better situation. It changed my life condition. I was born into a Baptist family, and I still pray the Lord's Prayer. But Buddhism gave me other words, Namyo Rinkikyo, another spiritual system, and it worked. It gives me the clarity and wisdom to change what is in my power to change. The Buddhist concept of changing poison into medicine works. My life has proven it. I have learned to forgive and to embrace. Today, I am a happy, better person. It still keeps me going day by day. However, you yourself must do it. Keep singing. Singing takes you beyond and beyond. And so speaking of singing, Tina actually has chanting albums on YouTube, uh, as well as CDs and DVDs in her Beyond series. So it's quite Yeah, that's super cool. I have to check that out. Yes, there's like a two-hour video of Tina chanting. Wow. <laughs> so you can chant along with her. Yes, that's exactly. Pretty, it's yeah, pretty cool. that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so Tina has this trend of if her home country, as she calls it, loses touch with her music and doesn't sell out shows as well, she'd go to Europe and be a sellout all over the place. She's immensely popular in Europe, and that's never changed. She's had three different homes around the world, and she has had a lake house in Switzerland since 1994. She owned property in London and Los Angeles and a villa on the French Vivera. Now, maybe it was due to the acceptance or Buddhism or her new partner, but Tina worked very, very, very hard. And on January 25th of 2013, she was announced that she had applied for the Swiss citizen citizenship and that she would relinquish her U.S. citizenship. Now, in April, she undertook a mandatory test and it included advanced knowledge of German and of Swiss history. On April 22nd of 2013, she became a citizen of Switzerland. So she's now ah, a that. citizen of Switzerland. Swiss. She's now Swiss. Right. Which is pretty funny. Well, not funny, but like, yes. <laughs> you know, there's this whole quote where like Switzerland's neutral. You know, she seems like, it's, it's right. like perfect. She's like this neutral, like, oh, I'm not angry. I'm not hyper. I'm just neutral type thing. Like, right. oh, that, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. I'm just chill. <laughs> Just yeah, it's like between the Buddhism, <laughs> the way she's reacted to her past, it's like, oh, okay, this seems really natural. <laughs> like, I think she's extremely happy. Yeah. So it's like, dude, wherever that is, be exactly. happy. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of happy, in 1986, Tina met German record executive Erwin Bach. Tina says on Oprah's next chapter uh, that it was love at first sight. Aww. I know, right? Oh, I just love it when that happens. So around Tina's 50th birthday, Erwin wanted to show his commitment and love for her and proposed marriage. But they didn't marry until 2013. They were together for 27 years before saying I do in Switzerland. Erwin also makes a very interesting point in the Oprah interview that Tina and Erwin have been together longer than Tina and Ike were together. They deserve the happiness of a clean slate and a closed chapter. And I think they have found it with each other. I completely agree. (laughs) Yeah. I love that she's found love and a new home and is happy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A new country, too. Oh, Switzerland is so lucky to have Tina. I know. (laughs) Okay, so normally the next question that we have is what do we think their legacy is? But you know what? 
uh, our girl Tina actually answered this for yes, us. Didn't yes, she? she did. And instead of answering for you, I'm just going to give you Tina's answer. So, Tina's answer to her legacy in 2013 on Oprah's next chapter. Oprah asked, What is one word that describes Tina Turner's legacy? Tina answered, Endurance. You know, I endured hardship all the way. If we stay on course, we stay focused. Never smoking, never drinking, never doing drugs. My legacy is that I stayed on course from beginning to the end. I believed in something inside of me that told me that I can get better. Or you can make something better. And that I wanted better. So my legacy is a person that strives for wanting it better and got it. Which is epic. I love love it so much. And it's like, that's everything I want to be right there. So it's like, oh my gosh. Mm Because she she didn't wait for things to happen. She just, she figured out what she wanted and she went for it. Period. You know? Right. Exactly. I love, I I think she summed it up so beautifully. Um, She is a hope to so many people. Um, She really is. And I... I mean, I hate to, like, add to something that was absolutely so perfect, but it's something that probably Tina wouldn't even say because her energy transcends race, transcends gender, and it surpasses age as well. And what's really weird is, yes, we know of Tina Turner because of her music, but it's her story that she decided to share so that other people can survive. I mean, we love her story. Um, and I just, I think that is one hell of a legacy. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn from the queen of rock and roll, Miss Tina Turner? Well, what I learned was um, you don't have to dwell on the past of something that, something bad that's happened to you. You don't have to stay there. Right. That's the biggest thing I learned. You really, you if something bad happens, yes, it's bad. And no, nobody's discounting that. However, you don't have to stay there. It is in your power to change your mind, your mentality, and to change where you go from there. Yeah, your physicalness can Exactly, leave. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you have the inner strength. You can find the inner strength inside of you to change your life, basically. You know, and uh, Tina's really, really shown me that that is possible. And if I give advice to like friends or something, it's like, it's not just me making stuff up. It's like, no, you can, you can change your life. You can do this because Tina Turner did it, you know? Right. Exactly. She was the example. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. For me, uh, learning about her story, you know, how she grew up with abuse and neglect and she saw her mother walk away from abuse and neglect and also walk away from Tina herself. So when Tina's in a relationship that is abusive, I can almost see that reaction of, you know, even though I saw my mom walk out, that really hurt. And I don't want to give that hurt to someone else. So you stay. You know what I mean? You try not to do what hurt you. But eventually you have to get to a point where you have to save yourself and you have to leave. And that's not easy. Um, She had that example of her mother, but like everything that is Tina's life, it's complicated and it's interwoven with people's feelings, people's needs. And, you know, like she says, we never do anything nice and easy. Right, exactly. (laughs) 
So sometimes really good people get a really crappy draw at the start of life and they, they, as, as they when they start, but they're like a, an iron forge. They start to harden, they start to soften. And when they're ready, they can be a weapon for good. Um, they're our beacon. They show us the way. And I hate that it happens to people. Um, but when they share their strength and they share their wisdom, um, they constantly have to open the wound. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And they're opening those wounds to show us that it's going to be okay. Right. And they're very strong to be able to do that because there are many people who would go through this and then never talk about it again, right. never share their story this publicly. So because of that, because of honestly opening this wound all the time, Tina is by far one of the strongest people absolutely <laughs> that I know. Yeah, it's not easy. Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm grateful because now, you know, if it happens to me, if it happens to a friend of mine, I feel like I've got some answers. Yeah. I've got a path. I've got suggestions. And I've got empathy. Absolutely. That's the most important yep. thing. So, yeah, I guess. And warning signs, too. Yeah, like, I know what to look exactly. for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for us. Next week, we wrap up our coverage of Gals Who Rock by looking at all of the gals, you know, all the queens of rock and the inventors of mm -hmm. rock. <laughs> and we see what other similarities there are and we see what differences there are as well. Also, if you are not a Patreon member yet, take a moment to consider it because this week's Patreons got early access to our our new sister show podcast, Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. You can become a Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, and it helps this show, and it helps our school outreach programs as well. So the website is patreon.com slash gal's guide. So until next time you press play, we leave you with this quote from Tina. If you are unhappy with anything, whatever is bringing you down, get rid of it. Because you will find that when you are free, your true creativity, your true self comes out. For more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We love our patrons and offer exclusive perks and behind the scenes access for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.